Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, friends. Appreciate you joining us today for our podcast. Have a card here from our dear friends, uh, missionaries to Japan, the Gardner family, Dan and Terry. They've been there since 1977. So think about that. They've given their life uh, to the people of Japan. And we support uh, Dan and Terry and have for years here at Faith. And also uh, Dan's son, Dan Jr. and Heidi and the family. So just grateful for generational impact that the Gardner family is making there in Japan. We are in Mark chapter 14 uh, this this uh, this day. I was going to say this morning, but I'm not sure what time it is while you're listening. So uh, today, uh, Mark chapter 14 and verse number 55. So if you would just find your place there in uh, verse 55, we're at the place where Jesus has been led from the Garden of Gethsemane to the place of judgment, the initial place of judgment, the place of indictment, I should say. And it's the palace of the high priest. It's the place uh, Caiaphas's house. And you can still go there today. Not quite sure, wouldn't say 100% this is the house of Caiaphas, but there's some good evidence uh, that the house that we visit on our Holy Land trips is that actual house. It's a compelling place. And we typically, when we go there, spend some time in the courtyard and we talk about Peter and his denial. And then we go into the house of Caiaphas, and there's a pit there where maybe some prisoners would have been kept in as a kind of a holding cell. And quite possible, according to Psalm 88, a great messianic psalm, that Jesus himself was held captive in that pit. It's a sobering place. We typically take the group down into the pit. We read Psalm 88. And we sing. Uh, We sing a song about the cross or a song about Christ and his suffering. It's really a sobering experience. So here we are in Mark chapter 14 and verse 55, where the Bible says, And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. So interesting, they had made their decision before they had grounds for indictment. It really shows you their their motive. They're serving as the judge, jury, and executioner, aren't they? They have a predisposed outcome. We want him put to death. Now we have to find the way by which to do that. The way by which to do that is to get an indictment. Well, to get an indictment, we need witnesses. So to get witnesses, we got to go find them. So they're looking all over for people to witness against because the law stipulates in order for a person to be formally indicted and then, of course, tried and executed, he must have due process. And part of that due process is that he would have witnesses of his crime. So is it not interesting that externally, the chief priests, the the council, They're trying to do things according to the law as far as the process. We need witnesses. We need indictment. But their very motive belies that. 
because they are simply seeking to execute an innocent man. And they're just going through the motions of trying to find a, a witness, a false witness. And they can't find one. So they are being frustrated throughout the night. They're in the middle of the night, early hours of the morning, that all this is taking place. And they're trying to get these witnesses from here and from there, chasing down these leads, and nothing is working out for them. Look at verse number 56. For many bear false witness against him. It wasn't a matter that they couldn't find people that spoke ill of Jesus or would speak disparagingly of his ministry. No, they they found those people. They found many of those people, but their witness agreed not together. So that was the rub. The rub was, uh, yeah, they found these people, but no two stories agreed. And of course, biblically, by virtue of the law of Moses, the, the witnesses had to agree, two or three witnesses. The word had to be established. So these had to be eyewitnesses whose testimony was corroborated by other eyewitnesses, and they just couldn't find that. So just picture this process. Witness after witness after witness comes in to testify, to say what he saw or testify about what he heard, and yet Nobody is agreeing with anybody else, and you can just see the frustration in your mind's eye. You can just see the frustration of these council members as their purpose is being thwarted. And make no mistake about it, their purpose is, we want Jesus dead. Look at verse number 57. And there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, so now uh, we're going to get some information about what kinds of things they were saying. So remember, there were many false witnesses. Not, no two were, uh, were agreeing. But now we're going to find out what were some of the things that they were saying about Jesus. I mean, he's perfect. He has gone about doing good. He's obviously never broken the law. He came not to abrogate or break the law. He came to fulfill the law. Now, Jesus is the only perfect law keeper who has ever lived. So what could they possibly say about him? Well, watch verse number 58. Uh, we heard him say, so here's the best they have. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made without with, with hands. And within three days, I will build another I will build another made without hands. Now, did Jesus say that? No. Now, did he say something like that? Sure. Remember at the first cleansing of the temple back in John chapter 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. But Jesus never said, I will destroy the temple. See how they've conflated this? You see how they've taken their motives and superimposed them upon what Jesus said and now they've made up something that really is opposite of what Jesus said. They said, well, what he said is he's going to destroy this temple, and then he's going to build it again. I mean, how ridiculous is that? And, and how blasphemous is that? Understand that the temple was the, the, the shining accomplishment of the Jews, especially now that Herod had rebuilt and refurbished it. It was, it was like the, uh, it was that their, their, their building of pride, uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world. 
and that they, how dare you mess with the temple? They, they had a system of oaths that they would swear by certain things. And one of the most strict oaths that a, a Jew could take was to swear by the temple. So the temple was something that they really honored and thought well of. And so for Jesus to have said, I'm going to destroy this temple, I mean, destroy the temple. The temple is what stands for the very presence of God. The temple is what stands for the identity of God's people. To destroy the temple would be to destroy the very symbol of Judaism. And so this is certainly an indictable offense. Now, the problem is Jesus never said that. Look at verse number 59. But neither so did their witness agree together. So even those that were saying that Jesus said couldn't ever agree on what Jesus said. Uh, We couldn't get any that would corroborate uh, the other. And so all of the proceedings that night were just a study in frustration for these religious leaders who were desperately just trying to get two or three to agree so that they could get rid of Jesus. That's been their purpose now for a very long time. Verse number 60, and the high priest, so he's the head of the Sanhedrin council. There are actually 71 members, 70 members of the Sanhedrin council, and then the high priest. So he's the 71st member. The Bible says, and the high priest stood up in the midst, and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? So they've got to change their modus operandi at this point because they the way they're doing it is not working. Jesus is the defendant. He's sitting there silently, just allowing these proceedings to progress, not saying anything. And the high priest is wanting to poke the bear. He's wanting to get Jesus to say something that would be self-incriminating. He needs to do something different than what's happening because what's happening is getting them nowhere. And the Bible says in verse number 60, so the high priest stood up in the middle of them, in the midst, and asked Jesus saying, answerest thou nothing? Are you just going to sit there in silence and say nothing about all of these many accusations made against you? That doesn't make sense. Don't you want to defend yourself? And and that's interesting, isn't it? That Jesus did not defend himself. I think for two reasons. Number one, no defense uh, would have been honored by these people that were predisposed to kill him anyway. So your enemy is not going to believe your defense. And uh, your the truth does not need defense. Yeah, the the incriminating, quote-unquote, evidence, quote-unquote, that these witnesses are providing are themselves demonstrably false because they can't agree with each other. So Jesus just sits there and allows them to be confounded in their own little charade. And the Bible says, answerest thou nothing? What is it, what is it which these witness against thee? So speak to this. You're hearing these witnesses and these accusations. Aren't you going to defend yourself? Say something. And is that not human nature? If somebody says something about you in hatred, if somebody says something about you that is patently untrue, don't you want to set the record straight? No, I didn't say that. 
No, you got that wrong. No, no, I didn't say that at all. There's something about us that wants to defend our reputation. And Jesus did none of that. He just allowed it to be. When he was reviled, he threatened not. He, he, he stayed silent. There's a great passage in 1 Peter chapter number 2, the end of chapter number 2, that talks about Jesus, just the way that he committed the entire situation to God. Remember, he's already made his decision there in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not my will, it's thine be done. And Lord, I'm willing to walk this road. I'm willing to to walk by each one of these painful mile markers along the way. Jesus knew where this would end. Jesus knew that these religious leaders were going to find a way. Jesus knew that all of this was part of God's plan. And so he accepted, he silently, as a lamb, dumb, the Bible says, without words, before the slaughterer. Isn't that what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53? All of this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Look at quickly verse number 61, but he held his peace. I love that. He held his peace. And I know that's just a way to say he kept silent, but don't you love that? Held, maintained his peace. So in that sense, Jesus was trusting, he was calm, he was uh, committed to God, he held his peace. And then it says, and he answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, here's the question, art thou the Christ? Now this is as simple and as straightforward as you can get. Are you the Messiah? That's what he's asking. Remember, the New Testament word Christ is the the same as the Old Testament word Messiah. It's the anointed one. Are you the Christ? And then he says, the son of the blessed, the son of God. Are you the Christ? Are you Messiah, the son of God? John wrote his whole book, the Gospel of John, to prove those things, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of God. We ought to believe on him. So Jesus is all of this. And now the high priest just puts it to him. Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? What will Jesus say? Up until this point, all the false accusations, he's just born in silence. But now this is a true statement, a true quote unquote accusation. What will Jesus say? Well, we'll talk about that next episode because we're all out of time for today. What a great example uh, Jesus is for us. And this situation was for us in how sometimes we are falsely accused. Sometimes we are surrounded by those that are just trying to accomplish something according to a predisposed motive. And we just need to commit the situation to God just exactly as Jesus did. Hope that helps today. We're going to jump into verse number 62 next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.